my favorite buildings are all falling down. Here's an update on our latest attempt to protect what's left of local history. Bill Spinell is here. And uh, last month, we reported that the city of Sumner planned to tear down the historic Ryan House in downtown Sumner. That got some residents uh, a little irritated. A citizens group is now taking legal action to stop this demolition. And Felix is here uh, to tell us about what happened at the Sumner City Council meeting this past Monday night. How many other news outlets are covering Sumner City Council, I ask you? Let's see if we can count it on one hand. Zero other than us. Okay. um, Quick refresher. The Ryan House is on Main Street in downtown Sumner in Pierce County. It was built between the 1860s and 1880s by the Ryan family, early settlers there. The family donated to the city in the 20s. It was a town library for five decades. And in the past few years, the city of Sumner had raised about a million dollars and made, made public some very exciting plans to restore the house, bring it up to modern codes and make it ADA accessible, use it as an event venue. But then the city discovered some structural issues in May. They didn't really tell anybody. And the city council took a big surprise vote on September 18th to give up on the restoration project and demolish the house instead. Now, Sumner people are experiencing a bit of whiplash after having heard those glowing reports about the fundraising the last couple of years. And because the Ryan House is actually the centerpiece of the city of Sumner's comprehensive plan. More about that and about the legal action in a minute. Now, in the past few days, a fence has gone up around the house and an official demolition notice has been posted. That's, you know, uh, makes the heart grow cold of anyone who cares about that kind yep. of history. And so in the last few weeks, a number of the Sumner people who we talked to last month at that open house the city held, they've formed this group called Save Ryan House. They have a Facebook page, and they're accepting tax-deductible donations. Now, last Friday was the big annual Sumner High School homecoming parade downtown. goes right past the Ryan House. They were out there with signs and handing out flyers and connected with a lot of people. And this past Monday was the first city council meeting held since that September 18th vote. The Ryan House wasn't on the agenda, but community members who wanted to speak out showed up in great numbers. Now, real estate agent and Sumner native Randy Adams was one of the first people to speak. He outlined a number of issues with how the project's been managed, and he offered up some fairly pointed criticism of the city's handling of the process, but he ended his remarks in kind of a conciliatory tone. I can go on and on. What I'd like to do is to just hopefully you guys listen somewhat to what I said, and that we can see that although our maybe our process had been flawed previously and disclosures that you thought you had given us had not been done, that maybe we can restart correctly and see if we can all come together and save the Ryanus. You know, it's the way the city turned on a dime to go from renovation to destruction that got a lot of people kind of scratching their heads, especially in the greater historic preservation community as well. And so this notion of transparency was a word that came up more than a few times. This is Sumner resident uh, Lindsay Norland. I stand before you as a concerned citizen, um, but also as a voice for the community that feels unheard, unconsulted, and are very concerned by the lack of transparency, due diligence, and vision that has accompanied this decision at first and foremost, the lack of transparency surrounding the fate of the Ryan House is very troubling. Um, not only are historical landmarks, should they be cherished, uh, not every town has a historical landmark. So the fact that we have one um, is pretty special. Uh, and the fact that we are so quick to tear it down um, seems just very concerning. There was also some anger about the overall condition of the Ryan House and the notion that the city should have somehow seen the problems you know, with the structure that they, uh, they should have seen that earlier, that they now say doom the project. From my understanding, the, the city has been responsible to keep up this house for almost 100 years and has failed miserably. And that guy's name is Spencer Gray. And now I found these next comments particularly resonant. This is a beyond the his history component. This woman named Amy Rain seems to really understand how that whole, you know, civic investment for the greater good thing is supposed to work. 
my kids are grown, can't tell you the last time I went to Loyalty Park. But Loyalty Park's still important to me. I still am glad to have my tax dollars go to that. I want it to be there for future generations. I feel the same way about the, our other parks and the Ryan House. It is really important as a community that we preserve our history, that we honor our history, and that we make an investment in making sure that our history will be there for future generations. And there was no response from the mayor or city council to any of the public comments. And maybe that's not so unusual. And then there's no mention later on during the rest of the meeting. They went on to talk about an ice machine that people are mad that they bought. Um, now, I talked to Randy Adams, the guy we heard from up front afterwards. He told me the group has actually hired an attorney to legally shut down the demolition. They filed a petition a few days ago with the Central Puget Sound Growth Management Hearings Board, um, which essentially puts a hold on everything until a hearing can be held. It might be as long as six months. And the basic premise is, uh, since the Ryan House is mentioned in all these city plans as being the centerpiece of downtown, that it's inconsistent with their uh, comprehensive plan. So we'll see how that plays out. Now, I reached out to a City of Sumner spokesperson early Tuesday morning to interview Mayor Kathy Hayden as part of the story. After some back and forth, the city declined because they said the mayor was too busy. Same thing goes for talking to any city council members. They eventually said they'd take some questions in writing. I sent those Wednesday afternoon and have yet to hear back anything. Let's give Randy Adams a final word with his thoughts on how that city council meeting went. I thought it was great for the first time that people actually were able to have the opportunity to stand up and voice their opposition to the, the decision of the city. But at the end of the day, the city was just killing time. That's all they were doing. They had they have to listen to us. And, and they, we have three, three minutes at every meeting, so we can just keep coming back and giving them our three minutes forever um, on this very topic because that's what it's going to take because they're just thinking they're, it's going to blow over and what the heck, we don't care. They're just a bunch of bumpkins. <laughs> uh, okay, that's a really tough talk, but uh, how much money is it going to cost and who has that money? Well, that's unclear, too, because it's the some of these citizens groups are saying that the estimates that the city of Sumner has for the repair are just uh, they're like back of an envelope. There isn't an actual official estimate. There's no one understands. Okay, uh, contractors to the, are giving free estimates all the time. That can't be too difficult. No, I know. And I talked to this attorney who's filing this petition. And he said it's sort of a handshake deal. It's not this like a legal encumberment thing because the city of Sumner is the person is the group who issues the demolition permit to the city of Sumner. But this whole notion of why they had this turn on a dime and this head, this 180 degree thing, nobody knows if there's any backstory to that or why they're so quickly switched gears on this thing. Nobody can explain that. Hmm. All right. Well, I mean, either you raise the money or the house is coming down. That's what I see here. Yeah. You know, it's, it's publicly owned. It's on the National Register of Historic Places. It has a lot of good things going for it. But, uh, you know, it all depends on what that group, civic group can do to raise the money and convince the city council to even respond to their questions. That's, there's been no real dialogue. That's bizarre. Historian Felix Bunnell, all his features at MyNorthwest.com. Thank you, Felix. Well, let's get an update on the United Auto Workers strike. I called up WWJ Radio's Jeff Gilbert, who's been reporting from Detroit over the last month during the picketing. Just to get a progress report. Nothing that we're hearing about. I mean, earlier this week, Bill Ford, who was the CEO of Ford, kind of reached out on Olive Branch to the UAW saying that, look, let's end the acrimony. Let, let's move forward. Let's get a deal. Let's work together. UAW responded essentially saying, you know how to give us a deal. You know what to do. Uh, and uh, we're not looking forward to working with you. We want to work with workers of the world to fight the uh, big corporations. So pretty much stands where it's been right now. So uh, no end in sight at this particular point. So what forces are at work that might uh, force one side or the other to cave here? 
You know, there's no obvious force out there that that seems to be moving either side off of their positions. Last week, Ford essentially said, this is all that we have to give. We can rearrange things a bit, but if we give any more, it's going to hurt our competitiveness. And the other companies have pretty much indicated the same thing. The union continues to say, hey, you're, look, you're making big profit, profits, and uh, we're, uh, we're, we're wanting a share of those. So, you know, it's a month in, and they're still saying the same things they said before the strike began. I know you've mentioned to me before that the, that the other companies aren't making this up. They have considerable competitive pressure, including from China. Is there any indication that some of those competitors see this strike as an opportunity to make their move? There is a lot of indication that, that these competitors would see this as an opportunity to make a move. Not so much China or places like that, because that's long term, but certainly people like Tesla, who have been, Tesla is in a great position right now because they really know how to make EVs. They're known for EVs. They're making huge profits. We'll hear more about their profits later today, and they can afford to cut prices right now. So Tesla is a company that's at a real advantage, and uh, companies like Toyota and Hyundai could be at an advantage with SUVs because their inventories are increasing while the Detroit 3's inventories are starting to shrink. What do, uh, how are Tesla, they're not, they're not unionized, right? No, Tesla's not unionized, and Tesla has lower labor costs than even the foreign transplants here in the U.S., so that gives them a lot more wiggle room to cut prices, and mm-hmm. frankly, cutting prices is how people sell vehicles. Now, how do they pull it off? Do they actually pay their workers less, or are they using more automation than the, uh, the other automakers? Both of those, but there's also another interesting thing that Tesla did early on with some of their workers is they gave them stock early on when Tesla stock wasn't worth a lot. Uh-huh. Tesla stock is worth a lot right now. So there are a number of you know people who started working for Tesla at their California plant early on who, who have some nice stock nest eggs. Ah, so they've got some skin in the Well, not just having a nest egg, but I assume the harder you work, the more valuable your stock becomes in the long term. I would assume that as well. That's certainly something that's been used in a lot of industries and has been used with management as well. Is that a bargaining point in the UAW strike or are they uh, not interested in stock? Well, if you've taken a look at what Ford and GM stock have been doing lately, it, it probably is not as big an incentive as yeah. Tesla stock would be. There's some <laughs> some analysts who have said that maybe we, we can make that happen. But the UAW in general has been more interested in things that are locked in, like pay, things of that nature. And, and the car makers are the ones who have been interested in, in, in the past in things like, look, we can't give you that much pay, but we'll give you more profit sharing. And that's worked out the last few years when there are big been big profits. There have been profit sharing checks of ten to fourteen thousand dollars. So that that's something that that's been happening for years. But the strike uh, continues, and it sounds like there is no imminent solution. Nope. And uh, there is now a deadline in Canada for Stellantis, the parent firm of uh, Chrysler, of the end of the month. So there's a little pressure on them to settle on both sides of the border. But Ford and GM settled over there as well. So Stellantis probably will too. Automotive expert Jeff Gilbert from WWJ. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. And while the UAW strike continues, Chinese automakers have been making major inroads into Europe's electric vehicle market, according to the Associated Press. And that has prompted the European Union to launch an investigation into whether China's gone too far in subsidizing its electric vehicle industry. Europe is attractive for Chinese EVs because auto import tariffs are a lot lower there than the U.S., 
one in every five EVs being sold in Europe now is a Chinese import, if you include vehicles that global automakers like Tesla and BMW are building in China. 735, we now go to Washington, D.C., and 6th District Representative Congressman Derek Kilmer. Uh, first of all, did you did you see the speech, and um, what about the president's trip to Israel? Is this going to help? Well, I appreciate that the president has been uh, engaged on this, and I hope that it helps. Uh, obviously, this has been tragic, the um, unprovoked attacks by terrorists are really a reminder of the threats that Israelis face every day and the slaughter of those in Israel, the murder of innocent civilians, including innocent uh, infants and children, is just unconscionable. Um, In terms of what's happening in Congress, the president has asked for uh, a supplemental uh, security appropriations bill that would not just focus on Israel, but on Ukraine. and with some funding for Taiwan as well. Obviously, the capacity of Congress to engage on that requires us to have a Speaker of the House. You've also seen lawmakers uh, engaging on really two areas. One, uh, a resolution reaffirming our nation's support for Israel and condemning terror attacks, but two, uh, a letter that has been strongly bipartisan uh, to the leadership in Egypt, asking for them to work with our government um, to create humanitarian corridors to make sure that humanitarian assistance is getting to uh, those in Gaza uh, and trying to prevent um, any sort of uh, suffering from, from the civilian population there. So there's another speaker's vote today. What's your read on that? Is that going to uh, actually result in uh, Jordan getting the job or not? Well, I sure as heck hope not. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm someone who spent four years chairing a committee trying to make Congress work better as an institution. I think if you want to make Congress work better, you shouldn't hire someone to be speaker. The former Republican speaker, John Boehner, called a legislative terrorist. You know, I have no- enormous concerns about Jim Jordan holding the speaker's gavel, um, and, and it's not surprising to me that he's struggling. I think most members of Congress agree that having government shutdowns is a bad idea. Making someone the speaker who has been the architect of past government shutdowns would be a terrible, terrible mistake. Most of the people I serve with, and frankly, most of my constituents want leaders who believe in the integrity of elections. And so having someone like Jim Jordan, an election denier, who is attending, you know, stop the steal rallies, holding the speaker's gavel is is frightening. You know, the, some, the of the, of um, some of the 20 Republicans, uh, I heard them say that they were not going to vote for him unless he recants that whole election denial stuff. Is he likely to do that? Uh, I, I don't think you're going to see a leopard change his spots. I mean, one of his... Um, one of the things he's proudest of is the support of the former president. Um, you know, and and and, and listen, it, it, this isn't Democrats saying this. You had you had former Republican members of leadership saying that there is not a single member of Congress that is more complicit in the events of January 6, twenty twenty one, than Jim Jordan. You okay, know, so who else is there, Congressman? Who else is well, there? Well, so you know, I know we talked about this last week. I think there is the potential of a enlightened path forward uh, that is a bipartisan path forward. Listen, you're going to hear every Democrat today vote for uh, Hakeem Jeffries, but we know we're in the minority, Dave, right? Like, we know it's not going to be Hakeem Jeffries who will, in the end, hold the speaker's gavel. Having said that, I think there is an opportunity for Republicans who want to end this chaos 
to have a dialogue. You know, it is easier. The math is easier. It is easier to get to 217 votes when you're working with 435 than when you're working with 221. I think they have shown for two weeks that they are incapable of getting to 200. Okay, what does that votes. look like? Does this, this mean like you would vote to make uh, Patrick McHenry a temporary speaker? Would uh, Democrats vote for that? Well, I think it depends on the parameters. I think there's increasing conversation about extending some additional authorities to, to him. Um, but I think rationally, and you heard uh, in the nomination speech that Pete Aguilar gave yesterday when he nominated Hakeem Jeffries, he ended by saying, you know, there is a bipartisan path forward, and it won't involve Democrats asking for a litany of things that are unreasonable. It will be things like stick to the budget agreement that Democrats and Republicans agreed to in May. It'll be providing an up or down vote on some basic things like aid to Ukraine, which has the support. I mean, there was a vote on it in the defense bill. More than 300 members of Congress, Democrats and Republicans, supported that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you have Jim Jordan who has said, I won't allow a vote for that. Okay, but if they did that, aid to Ukraine. So if they give you that, you would vote for some other Republican? Well, I think the more likely scenario is that that uh, that there would in, at least initially be um, a discussion, as you mentioned, about providing additional authority to Patrick McHenry okay. as a as an acting speaker. I get that. Representative Derek Kilmer. Thank you, Congressman. You bet. Thanks, Dave. Your daily dose of kindness brought to you by Robert W. Baird, a young surfer sharing what he's learned to help other children ride the waves. Here's CBS's Carter Evans. For 12-year-old A.J. Iredell, surfing isn't just a passion, it's a way of life. It's a little inconsistent, but... Not bad for a school day. Yeah. <laughs> the phenom took me to one of his favorite breaks in Oceanside, California. What's the plan? We're, pa- we're paddling out by the rocks right there because there's a rip current right there. It's a conveyor belt. I'll take you right out to the break. Okay, we're going to use the rip current to get out. Yeah. All right, we'll see you guys. Iredell started surfing when he was just three years old and never stopped. After I caught my first wave all by myself, like a feeling of accomplishment and like myself saying, I can do this. Now, nine years later, he's competing and a regional champion, totally at ease surfing in a crowd of people decades older than he is. So what do you think is your favorite thing about surfing? The people like that I surf with. Like, it's one thing to be good at surfing, but it's another thing to share it with people. And he does that regularly, volunteering with Ways of Impact, which provides free surf camps for people with disabilities and other challenges, many of them children. I love seeing the smile glow on their faces after they've done it. Like, at first, like, the ocean may be a place of fear, but... Those kids are fearless. Just talking to these kids and seeing what they've gone through, it's, it's crazy. And to know like what we take for granted. What's that like as a mom to see him want to help other people? I'm so grateful. I'm truly so grateful. AJ's mom and dad are his biggest cheerleaders. As one of five children in the family, their son learned to be a team player early in life. I think that he was able to recognize um, the opportunities that he was given and the people that helped him when he was little. And I think that he's just as excited to be that guy for some of these other little guys. You get good grades? Yeah, I try to. (laughs) When he's not surfing, AJ somehow finds time for jujitsu, snowboarding, 
and of course his family. I'm trying to get my little brother into it. He's uh, about to turn two. Does he like it? Yeah, he loves it. He's two. He's old enough now to surf, right? Yeah, he's old enough. Are, are you like training a little surf partner? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> a kid at heart with a giant heart. Carter Evans, CBS News, Oceanside, California. And now, joining us for the Gene Ursula Show, which starts at 9, here is G. Scott. You know, it's up. Minimum wage. Yes, it is. You know, for first, let me start off by saying good. That's a good thing. It's needed. But I go, and lately I've been spending a lot of time in Ohio, because mm-hmm. that's where my son is. And when I'm in Ohio, Dave, all of my activities, everything that we go and do, whether it is uh, going to the restaurant or going to buy something in the retail store, every single time I'm reminded, and I sound like my dad when I'm just like, wow, this isn't expensive. And my son's girlfriend says, you always uh, talk about how things aren't as expensive because it's the first thing that's on my mind. Anyways, I'm reminded at just how expensive things are here in Seattle. So while I'm going to say, yes, it's a victory for the minimum wage to get up there, and what is it, like 6% that it has gone it's up. It's close to 20 bucks an hour now. Right. Big company. That, that, that's good. I'm going to just tell you, it's really not enough for people to be able to live here, and, and especially live and or work here, whether it is um, gas, we all know that's ridiculous. Grocery stores, ridiculous. Sully lately has been warning everyone how pretty soon the toll roads, as far as things on 167, and you guys have been talking about yes. the tolls for $18 on the 405. Everything is ridiculous here. So while we would celebrate, and I'm not going to, I'm going to be, yes, this is great, but let's just be real. They're still far behind of where it needs to be. I'll admit I've never really understood how to successfully manage this because the economy is, it's a circle. So if prices are high, money always goes to somebody. Nobody, you know, hands out money to be burned. It goes to somebody. Sure. So you raise wages. That's great. But then the company's got to make back that money. So what do they do? They raise prices. So now everybody's raising prices. You want to raise wages again. And and so it goes. So the only way to get ahead, I guess, is to find a job that pays you more or uh, acquire skills that are more in demand. I don't know how else you get ahead. Well, I, you're right. And I think that that's the hard part is finding a job that pays you well that's really not that easy well excuse me it comes easy for some and it doesn't always come easy for others here in this country with that being said i made a comment yesterday and there were some folks that were not happy about it and what i said was is i said if you are younger in your 20s and it's it's tough for you um and you don't have a good job yet I said, you might want to think about moving to another state. And that's, I'm not trying to be callous when I say that. Mm -hmm. I'm being serious. I would advise that to even my own kids. It's hard here. 
There's no income tax here. So therefore, this place, this state, is a very regressive when it comes to uh, taxes. Yeah. If, if there's every single time you and Colleen are always talking about tax here, tax there, tax everywhere. Everything is about money here, and it's just a lot of people. We talk about the homeless crisis, homelessness crisis, all the time. Sure, there's no doubt about it. We have a homelessness crisis, but what we don't talk about are the people that are on their way. To being homeless. We don't talk about the people that right now are living paycheck to paycheck that are just one medical emergency away or one flat tire away yeah. or one um, broken down car away from being unhoused. And we have so many living here because of things being so expensive. I have friends who moved to, I mean, good middle class jobs, right? Regular middle class people who said, I can't afford to retire in America. They moved to Mexico. And there's a whole uh, American community down there, yes. basically retirement refugees yes. can't afford to live here. Yes. So it happens. Yeah. But G Scott, nine o'clock with Ursula. Thank you, G. And now we go to CBS military consultant Jeff McCausland. So Jeff, I was seeing um, some evidence being displayed, uh, actually on CNN, showing various uh, surveillance tracking, indicating that the explosion at that hospital was not, in fact, caused by Israel. What can you tell us about that? Well, it certainly seems to be the case, Dave. The United States has released some intelligence of their own, which shows the track of those particular rockets that then fell on that particular hospital. And from that, it seems that the story that these were launched by Islamic Jihad, which is a smaller terrorist group operating in the Gaza Strip, and one of them misfired and fell on that particular hospital seems highly, highly likely. In addition, Pentagon has said they have also intercepted uh, conversations between various members of uh, the um, Islamic Jihad and other groups in the Gaza Strip, Hamas to be sure, indicating that that's what in fact transpired. Now, whether that day, frankly, changes the story that's being played out on Arab streets all across the Middle East, that, that's more problematical, as we've seen large-scale demonstrations in Amman, and in, in uh, Cairo, in uh, Baghdad, and elsewhere uh, in the aftermath of this horrific tragedy. Right now, reporting up to 471 people killed in that particular hospital disaster and over 300 injured. Right. Well, I mean, this is the, uh, this is the fog of war, and people are going to Believe what they what they want to believe. Do you do you see at this point any um, any way for a decisive outcome in this conflict? Not really. I mean, if, if the Israelis are describing a decisive outcome as destroying Hamas, uh, to do that is going to be an enormous military slog through the streets of the Gaza Strip, an area of 2.2 million people, about 13,000 people per square mile. Comparison might be helpful, and that is when the Iraqi military assaulted Mosul to wrest it back from ISIS. It took them nine months, 8,500 of their own killed, equal number or more ISIS killed. Nobody knows how many civilians killed in a similar military operation in a very heavily, densely populated uh, urban area. So that's exactly what the Israeli military could be facing in that regard. And does that destroy Hamas, or does some other group step up? whether it's Islamic Jihad or somebody else who now takes over the mantle of trying to describe themselves, at least as those who are protecting the Palestinians from the threat posed by Israel. Yeah. The president uh, took pains in his speech to say that Palestinians are not Hamas. There are plenty of Palestinians who oppose Hamas and just want to, to live in peace. 
But, of course, Hamas is not holding uh, elections because polling shows if they held an election, they would lose. Well, maybe not now. But, I mean, um, how do you perceive the challenge here? Is is there a way for anybody to, even a non-Hamas Palestinian, to compromise at this point? It's going to be enormously difficult, Dave. You know, the president, I thought, in his remarks, obviously underscored U.S. support for Israel. He talked about you are not alone. He said that at least three or four times. He talked about an unprecedented military aid package that he'll forward to Congress. Some suggest that could be in excess of $100 billion, combining mill aid for Israel with that for Ukraine as well as for uh, Taiwan. And he and talked about other things to underscore our support. You know, I thought it was interesting, Dave. He said, you know, in the aftermath of 9-11, Americans experienced similar rage and sorrow when that particular tragedy occurred on our soil. And he pointed out that this was like eight or nine 9-11s for Israel. But he also then went on to say, we made mistakes. We made mistakes. And quietly, members of his group that were traveling with him said one of the comments or questions he posed to Netanyahu repeatedly is, where is this going? Tell me how this leads to a goal and an end state. Military force, Dave, is a means to an end. It is not an end. The end has to be, hopefully, greater stability and some kind of peace. The president talked about that. But then the question comes back, is going through the streets of Gaza and trying to kill off every single Hamas fighter, does that lead you to that particular goal? Yep, good point. CBS military analyst Jeff McCausland. Thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Dave. And it's Mickey time. We're going to talk about uh, celebrity marriages. I know even less about that than soccer. So, uh, (laughs) Katrina, Colleen, bail me out here. All right. Well, Jada Pinkett Smith's new book is worthy, and it's actually uh, dishing a lot of juicy details about her marriage. She admits that she and Will have been separated since 2016. They were married in 1997, so they've been together for 26 years, and now they're in this type of separation called relationship of transparency. And I'm just looking at your face, Katrina, and there's just this scowl. What do you want to say? (laughs) Uh, This is a saga that's been ongoing for a long time with this couple, and honestly... I'm tired of hearing about the inner workings of celebrity marriages. Mm -hmm. I just think that's so private and deeply personal. And she continuously goes in so deep about the nitty gritty of how she and Will have whatever relationship that they have. And I just think that I'm just puzzled. But what's the value in telling everyone? Well, to to kind of, you know, point out what's been happening Pinkett hasn't been hasn't discussed her marriage in almost 26 years. I mean, you know, the rumors that they were swingers, that they were gay, that they had this fake marriage. And she never discussed any of that. And it really took a toll on her. She kept it private. But now um, they've got this relationship of transparency. And now she wants to tell all. It's too much. And she did tell all when she had an entanglement with her son's friend a few years ago. And then that well, blew up. What's interesting about that is so, you know, I've been following this celebrity gossip, too. And one of my favorite podcasts is Armchair Expert with Dak Shepard, who's also a celebrity married to Kristen Bell, all that. But he just had Jana Pickens Smith on as one of his guests. And they talked about how this book is filled with her entire life and what the Hollywood media has picked up on is just the stuff about the marriage. And so she talks about, yeah, like they're going to do with it what they want to do with it. But that's the honest truth about and and the whole entanglement thing. The reason why I, I chimed in on that is because she said that 
when she talked about that quote unquote entanglement on the red table talks, it was framed incorrectly. She said she and Will were both going to go on that show and say, talk about how they'd been separated since 2016. And so it wasn't, in fact, a, an affair or an entanglement. It was fair game in their relationship. But Will, as we saw with the slap during the Academy Awards, got cold feet about the masculinity and what's tied up in being in a, in a type of relationship where you do allow your wife or ex-spouse to seek relationships outside the marriage. And well, so she was caught in this situation where because he wasn't ready to suddenly be transparent about their separation, she looked like the one who stepped out. Right. Well, but and he stepped out in 2021. He admits that he was unfaithful as well. Um, you if know, you can call it unfaithful because they've been separated since 2016. Mm-hmm. And so the relationship of transparency means Hey, mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing this. I mean, okay, great. Like, they're still fr- she's talked. She's like, I just talked to him this morning on the phone. Like, they're friends. Yeah, I think all of this drama about their marriage is made up. Mm-hmm. They're fine. It, well, they're, she yeah, said, she says they're fine. Yeah, yeah, she yeah she said that they're fine. You know, she said that she had feelings of uh, of shock when Smith invited her to the Oscars. You know, she was like, what? Yeah. Like and and then when he slapped Chris Rock, she said and that said, she was Get confused. My wife's name out of your mouth. Right. She's like, wait, I haven't heard you call me my wife in years. Yeah. Like, yes. But all, the yeah. problem is no one else knew about this arrangement. But because them. it's not of our, it's none of our business. True, but honestly. now like, she's making it our business, mm-hmm. and I she's personally not. She don't released care. a book, and what people are picking up on are the marriage tidbits. But she talks about everything from her upbringing with a yeah. mother who was addicted, and you know what? What the what? That's what I'm saying is mm-hmm. that we are making a big deal out of their relationship. It's a very interesting. It's a very interesting relationship. She says though since the slap her relationship with uh with him with Smith has been absolutely beautiful. She lives in her own house right now, which she purchased in 2021. She says she abstains from alcohol, sex, excessive spending. Um Smith even wrote to the New York Times uh, a letter uh about his wife's memoir and he says that that memoir woke him up. He says the memoir made him realize that she had a rough life while he was out there trying to build his career and he has a newfound appreciation for her and so you know they did ask why why haven't you gotten divorced why live separately and i think and this is just me speculating is that you know she doesn't do want to. to right yeah why do they have to she specifically fine the way they said are, that will and in his memoir he wrote that he would never get divorced again he's been through one he doesn't want to have one again so it's their agreement to Great. be married in this then it works for agreement. them let them hmm. let them yeah so this uh so then my only question is when i send them an anniversary basket can i send it to <laughs> both of them or do i send separate baskets to just each just send it to jada send She's it to jada send it to jada yeah send it to her house got it okay mm-hmm. thank you thank you're you welcome. mickey thank you well, katrina <laughs> let's get a uh, traffic you're welcome, check dave and well but you're already a host of the show i don't have to thank you you've been here the whole time i i just thought what i said was really important no it was it was it was very important calling yes, thank was. you you're welcome <laughs> I just miss you guys. I've been away for two weeks with this COVID stuff. I miss you guys. Thanks for listening to Seattle's Morning News. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Colleen O'Brien. Thanks for listening to the show's podcast. We're happy you're here. And you can keep up with the show and find some of the stories from today online at MyNorthwest.com.